In this parak, Ramam outlines mitzvahs 24-29, not to do the idolatrous witchcraft called, called Oiv, not to do the idolatrous witchcraft called Yudaini, not to offer your son through the fires of the idolatrous Melech, uh, not to establish a pillar for purposes of worship around it, not to bow down on uh, a, a, a stone floor that has been designated for that purpose, and not to plant a idolatrous tree called an Asherah. Aloha Aleph. If someone does the idolatrous witchcrafts called deliberately on purpose, if they were aiding him and they warned him, then he gets stoned. If he's inadvertent, he brings a chatos, a sin offering, which is, that's established as, as such, regardless of his income. What's the example of this? This is when one stands and offers the specific designated ingredients of the burnt, the incense that they use. And he holds a branch of a myrtle tree, beyond in his hand, and he waves it, and then he speaks in a hushed tone, whispering, with their known incantations and spells, till the point that, until the person asking, appears, as if he hears, the person asking here is someone speaking with him, answering him, regarding what he asked, with words which seem to be coming from under the earth, in a low voice, a very low voice. So it's like he hears, so to speak, a low voice coming from under the earth, to the point that this is so low, it doesn't mean it's not really audible to the ear, it's his conscious aware of it, but it's not actually audible. The Dalam seems to be going with his, uh, with his uh, shishita, as he'll say later, that he doesn't believe witchcraft actually works, except it's forbidden, rather, it ha- it's, it's above my, so that's only in the, in the mind of the person, it's psychological. Similarly, if someone takes a skull of a dead body, offers the incense and whispers to it the spell, Till he hears a voice coming out of his of his armpit, shuffle out a very low voice, mashiva, and it's answering him. And these are all called Maisa Whoever does this is stoned because the belief of that these spiritual powers of this witchcraft come from idolatrous sources, therefore it's considered idolatry. Base. What's the If he takes the bone of a bird, which is called a yadua. Befeev in his mouth, umakta, then he offers incenses. The Ramam calls it the bone of a bird, even though most sources seem to indicate that it's the bone of a wild beast. The Ramam seems to be basing himself on the Zoyhar in, re- in referring to the, the Yadua as the bone of a bird. He does all the kinds of uh, hocus pocus. Actually, he falls like an, like an epileptic. And he starts saying things that he believes are going to happen in the future. These are all different types of idolatry. Where is the Pesach that says specifically it's forbidden? It's not enough for the terror to say if you do it, you're punished. There has to be a separate source that says you're not allowed to do it. So what is the source? The Pesach says, Do not turn to the Oyvus Yudanim. Someone gives his descendants over to the Melech idolatry, deliberately and on purpose. If it's inadvertent, maybe he brings a carbon chatos that's established regardless of his income, as opposed to a carbon elevated that does change with your income. That's what's called kavua, it's established. It doesn't not change, rich or poor. If he does with witness and he's one niskal, he's chayv skila, as any avid zara, it says, he who gives over his descendants to the maylech, shashoy dai vagamer. 
Where is the pasuk that says that it's forbidden besides being punished? The pasuk says, He shall not give your descendants to the Melech. Well, the it says later on, You should not be found amongst you, he who passes his son or daughter through fire. What is the procedure? He lights a large fire in front of the idol. He takes some of his descendants, not all of his descendants. So if he has only one descendant, like an only child who's young, this wouldn't apply. So he takes some of his descendants. She gives the child over the descendant over to the uh, the priests who are serving this fire. Then the priest give this child back to the parent or the ancestor. Once, once it's been given over to them, to the fire, the father, the grandfather, whoever it is, should pass... Pa- the father, the grandfather, or, or, or grandfather, whoever it is, should pass the child over through the fire. Um, now the father, the, the ancestor passes the child through the flames with the acquiescence and go ahead from the priest. That's how you show this The father of the child is the one who has who, who passes the son through the fire in the, with the permission of the Kahanim. He passes him over on his own feet, on his feet. Now, as the father carries the child from one side to the other, but in the midst of the flames. Not that he burns the child as a burnt offering, as is done in other idolatrous services. The Melech was only served by having a child pass through the flames, not burning the child. Perhaps the child got burned somewhat, but that wasn't the point. Because you don't actually burn the child, uh, it's they pass through the flames only. If you do it to a different type of Avedazara, that's not served in this way, you're Pater. If, however, the child is burnt, then you're Chayef for every idolatrous service, because that's considered a burnt offering, which you're always Chayef for, no matter what Avedazara it is. Until you pass the child, uh, give the child over to the Kahanim. Uh, to the Melech fire, and then you and, and then you to the Kahanim, they give it back to you, and then uh, you pass you, you carry the child through the flames in your own, uh, 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 while walking on your own feet. Ba'ish through the flames, Darachavara is a way of passage. A master of Lehevi, what if he gives the child over to the priest but does not pass him through the flames? Hevi he passes through the flames on his own with the child but does not first give them over to the priest. Or he gives it over to the priests but he passes the child through. Uh, not while carrying. For example, he has a child walk through on his own. Pater, in the Ramam's opinion, these are all Pater because this is not the normal way a person serves the Melech. This is an example of somebody like the Rambam who has obviously no interest in Avedazara, Chas Shalom, having to be intimately familiar with the details and the laws of Avedazara to know what you're liable for, not liable for, as we said earlier. It has to be that he gave only some of his descendants and left some behind. It says, from his descendants, some of his descendants, the mem, mizare, indicating there's some left over. Part of it, not all of it. If someone gives all his descendants over, or he only has one descendant, only a child, he gives that over, in that case, he would not be chayv, apparently. Whether it's legitimate descendants or not legitimate descendants. Whether, for, for example, if he fathered a child through his sister or through a married woman, that's still his biological descendant. Male or female descendants. Their children or their grandchildren. For anything which is his biological descendant, he's because they are his seed. If he passes through the flame with his brother, sister, or, or, or his parent, or grandparent, or he passes himself through the flames, part of then he's not liable. 
Uh, what if the person was uh, sleeping or blind? Then again, he's potter because, again, it's not the way it's pro- appropriately done in the laws of the Melech. The pillar, the monument which the terrorist forbids, so this is a monument, a structure which everyone gathers by it or around it, even if it's for the purpose of serving Hashem. Because that was the manner in which the idolatrous people would serve their idols. The Pasuk says, You should not establish for yourself a, a monument. Therefore, even though using to serve Hashem, since it became a common structure among, a common practice among the Zarah, therefore the Torah says it has become uh, tainted or fouled and is no longer allowed to be used to serve Hashem. So you see things which essentially can have positive, uh, initial, positive uh, um, initial, initial positive uh, sources, like Yaakov Vino, for example, made a matzeva on his way to Lavan, but because it became afterwards used for negative purposes, it loses its credibility. And positivity. Whoever establishes a pillar or monument like is Chai Malkus, Evan Maskis, a bowing stone, Hamur Bateri, which the refers to, that, that, that's forbidden, even though you're bowing to Hashem, it's still forbidden, like in your Chai Malkus, and Emmer, it says, Evan Maskis, a bowing stone, you shall not place in your land, to bow to it, even for Hashem. Because again, it was the common practice of the idolaters to place stones in front of the idols. To bow to it. Therefore, we don't do such Tashem. Until you spread out your hands and feet on the stone. You completely spread out over it in a way that it's, 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 it, you take up the maximum amount of space, lying flat down with your hands and feet totally outstretched. So a person, for example, is six feet tall. In that case, because of his hands, would be taking up almost seven feet of space or more. That is the type of bowing the Torah refers to. That's forbidden on this kind of stone. Of course, bowing to Avodah Zarah is forbidden, even if a person does not bow down to that extreme. But on this kind of stone, it's forbidden, uh, even, if you're, even if you're bowing to Hashem. And the Chayv Malkus, if he bows and stretches himself out in this fashion. Halacha Zayin. Medva, morning when this apply... You're not allowed to bow down on a stone, or something on a kaimis, other places outside the base of Migdash. Avo, but Migdash in the base of Migdash, Mutlish, Tachvaslavonim, is permitted to bow down on stones. So, Nemar says, You shall not do so in your land. In your land, outside the base of Migdash, the rest of Eretz you may not bow down on stones. The stones that have been shaped for the purposes of the Beis HaMikdash, that are in the Beis HaMikdash, that is permitted to bow down on, and indeed, that was done so, they would bow down to Hashem in the Beis HaMikdash on those stones, on the stone floor. Because of this prohibition, the custom is popular among the Jewish people, to spread out mats, if the, if, the, if the shul has a stone floor. If it's a non-stone floor, it's not a problem. And people have to bow down on the floor on Yoshanim Kippur, or in times of the Gemara, they bow down when they would do Ladavid uh, after, after Shemesi, when they say Tachrun, today we just sit down and use our arm to support our head. But uh, back then, they would actually, in times of the Gemara, they actually bow down on the ground. So therefore, they would spread out mats on, this, on, the, spread out mats on the stone floors and the shuls, or just spread out a hay or straw, to separate their faces from the stone. This way, if your face is not touching the stone, it's not considered bowing down. If he couldn't find anything to separate himself between himself and the stone, then go bow down somewhere else outside the shul area. Or bow down while lying on your side. 
that you're not going to press your face into the stone this way when you lie on your side uh, it's not considered bowing down in the prohibited fashion someone who bows down to Hashem not to have a desert Hashem on a stone, or uh, 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 the, on the shape, on the on the regular shaped stones, without spreading out his hands and feet, ain't like he's not chay malchus, alamachnis, malchus mardus, because he did not spread out his hands and feet, he's not chay malchus. However, since it's forbidden according to the Torah, even though there's no there's no chiv malchus, he is given malchus uh, mardus, which is given for violating a iser derabanan or for violating an iser from the Torah where there's no formal malchus. Many times the chacham will institute malchus to to punish people and prevent them from doing it in the future, to deter them. If he bows down to an idol, whether he bows down with his hands and feet spread out or not, because he's bowing down to an idol, then he's liable for stoning the moment he buries his face in the ground, even if he's not actually spreading out his hands and feet. Now, it's puzzling because the Ramam seems to be saying that uh, if he's bowing down without burying your, hand, your, your, your face in the stone, you're not chayiv sila, uh, and the Gemara seems to indicate that uh, just any kind of bowing down, even bending your head or, or back, in uh, reverence of the idol, already makes you chayiv sila for bowing for bowing on zara. But from this Ramam, it appears Ram has another source differing from the Gemara that a person's only chayiv if he buries his face in the ground or on the stone. Halachates. I wonder if perhaps one could suggest that the Rambam means that when you're bowing to Avedah Zara in a regular scenario, then any kind of bowing you're Chayef Skila. If you choose to bow down on stone, then perhaps it indicates that you only consider that it's bowing when you're on the stone if you put your face to the stone. Otherwise, it's not uh, considered a real bow uh, because you're on the stone, which is a more requires a more formal, full type of bow. But I don't know if that's true. Halachates. The Rambam now moves on to the love of planting an idolatrous tree, a practice that was done by idolaters and the belief that bowing to the tree or bowing to the idol by the tree would help with fertility, uh, possibly because f- trees bear fruit, that they are being fruitful. If someone plants a tree near the Mizbeach, or anywhere in the temple courtyard, whether it's a non-fruit-bearing tree, whether it's a fruit-bearing tree, either way, even though he did it for the purpose of beautifying and decorating the mikdash, the base of mikdash, and it's increasing its niceness, the Ramam specifies a non-fruit-bearing tree, because even though commonly it was done to increase fertility, the prohibition applies even if it's a non-fruit-bearing tree, which doesn't bear fruit, and therefore does not represent fertility necessarily. You shall not plant for yourself an asherah, an idolatrous tree, kolech, or any tree, by the tree of the, excuse me, by the Mizbech of Hashem, the altar of Hashem. Because again, this was a common practice among idolaters. They would plant trees near the uh, altars. So the people would gather there. Apparently, the Ramam does not uh, consider the primary reason to be anything but to do with fertility. Um, so people would gather there to eat their fruit or to get shade, and therefore it's because it's done by Avodah it Zarah, becomes forbidden to do even in a benign fashion in the Beis HaMikdash. It's forbidden to make porches, shell eights made of wood, but make in the Beis HaMikdash, because it says one makes in the courtyards. Even though it's a building and not a planted tree, a planted it's 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 wood of structure. It's a safeguard, a buffer zone. Shemer it says collates any tree so to prevent people from planting trees. The Chum took the cue from the pasuk of collates and forbade 
any kind of wood structure in the base of Mikdash. All the sh- porches and structures, which protruded from the walls, were of stone, it's not of wood. There were, however, wooden beams in the walls that did not protrude. The ones which did, which did protrude were made of stone or of uh, 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 other materials, but not of wood.